Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity 2.0, the One True Podcast, and the only podcast that was there. I was there. We were, were you there? there. We were there. We were eyewitnesses. I was there. I saw it happen. It was a giant cosmic egg. <laughs> I thought it was a primordial snake. Well, you're wrong because I was there. Were you there? I was there. Oh. You weren't there. I didn't see you. <laughs> you must have been behind the egg. <laughs> oh. My snake ate your egg. <laughs> we are going to do the Ken Ham versus Bill Nye uh, scientific creation <laughs> debate today. We're going to go over that today. And may I just add, uh, God. Jesus, this was this was on par with Kirk Hastings' bullshit. It was really tough to listen to. If I'm, I'm really sorry, if anybody out there. Had to sit down and watch this. Actually, you know what? No. I'm not sorry because I had to sit down and fucking watch this. We we do this <laughs> so our listeners don't have to. Yeah, that's our job. We're sparing you, know you the pain and suffering. We are on our cross, crucified, listening to fucking Ken Ham <laughs> rattle on, uh, suffering for you. If hell is real, I I know what it's going to be like now. <laughs> it's going to be me in a room with Ken Ham just talking to me. Hello, hello, I'm a bloke from Australia. That's what we call men in Australia, blokes. We call them, we call shrimps bobbies, or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, it was terrible. Uh, Before we get into that though, man, how about some skunk dicks? Yeah, I love me some dick. (laughs) Um, skunk skunk dicks. I like doing the skunk dick segment. Oh, what the hell. Uh, whatever. Which one do you want to do first? I would like to do an anti-abortion lawmaker. Chuck, are you familiar with a uh, Ohio Republican? I am sure that's not relevant. He's just a lawmaker. He's a state rep. Um, Jim Butchie. Bushy. Boucher? Bucky? Bucky? Butchie. It's Butchie. Jim Butchie. It's Butchie. Jim Butchie. Jim the Butch Butchie, they call him, because he dresses like a lesbian. Um <laughs> so he was giving a is giving a uh, an interview to a um, Al Jazeera America reporter, and um, he is opposed to abortion. I bet you never would have guessed this. He's from Ohio. He's a Republican. He's an anti-abortion uh, crusading. A Republican topic. against abortion, <laughs> unheard of. So you'd think that he might have some thoughts about abortion. So she asks him, "What do you think makes a woman want to have an abortion?" And he says, well, there, there's probably a lot of I, I, I'm not a woman. So I, I, I'm, I'm thinking now, if I'm a woman, why would I want to get some of it has to do with economics. A lot of it has to do with economics. I, I don't know. I've never I, it's, it's a question I've never even thought about. It's a question he's never thought about, Matt. He never thought about it. Maybe you want to think about that first. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, before you spend your entire career um, making uh, criminalizing abortion, uh, maybe you want to give a single thought to why a woman might get an abortion. I don't know. It's just a I'm just spitballing here, Matt. Yeah. Uh, He also voted for restriction abortion. I'm sorry. He voted for um, prevent insurance companies from covering abortion. And then he also he did not support a law 
that it bans drivers from texting because that's just another government rule looking over your shoulder. <laughs> you got to be responsible for us. <laughs> and, because he doesn't want government in people's lives. Heaven forbid we make more government rules looking over your shoulder. Oh, my God. No government in our phones, only in women's vaginas. He, uh, he would like to eliminate abortion uh, except – with a single exception to save a woman's life, uh, not for rape or incest. So it wow. never occurred to him that a woman might get an abortion because she was raped. He said, that thought has never occurred to him. So he's going to give the save her life exception. A progressive Republican. <laughs> <laughs> progress, Matt. That's progress. Baby steps. Baby steps. Uh, I wanted to talk about um, in Florida, apparently Michael Dunn uh, pulls up into a gas station and he says he felt threatened by a, a car full of teens playing loud music. I, I would, that would threaten me. Now, these, yeah, these teens happen to be black. I'm sure it's a, a coincidence that he didn't empty his fucking 9mm pistol entire clip into a, a SUV full of white teens. He killed a 17-year-old named Jordan Davis, because, you know, you need to stand your ground because they're filling up their fucking gas station, you know, filling up their car with gas, so... Well, uh, they're they're playing rap music. Rap, Chuck. Yeah, rap music. So he asked the teens to turn down the music, and they did, and then I think he kept talking to them, and so they turned it back on. They they turned it uh, even louder, apparently. And so things are escalating, and uh, finally, he uh, gets so angry, or I'm sorry, Matt, so threatened, so threatened and so afraid threatened. for his life that he grabs uh, into the uh, glove compartment where he's carrying a 9mm pistol, and he yeah. fires 10 rounds into the fucking side of the SUV. Uh, any return fire, Matt? Because he said that he, he saw someone reaching for a weapon inside the SUV, and he said, you're not going to kill me, you son of a bitch, and uh, runs into his car opens his glove compartment, grabs his pistol out, and, and then fires 10 shots. So, and then a, a gun battle ensued, right? Yeah, uh, no return fire because, of course, no one had any oh. weapons inside the car. And then he left, by the way. I'd just like to point that out. <laughs> oh, right. So they, they leave. <laughs> he drove away. Right. They, they leave because some fucking crazy man has just emptied his goddamn clip into their side of their car. And a bunch of people are injured in the car, and, and one of them's currently bleeding to death. And he, what does he do? Does he call the police because he was threatened for his life? No, he drives home, no, orders just, a fucking pizza. Just go home. Just go home. Shoot up a car and, and leave. Well, my work here is done. He says, I guess I'll just go pizza. I am not a murderer. I am a survivor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he fucking survived. Rap music, apparently. The the vile onslaught of rap music, because they had no fucking weapons inside the car. Now, a, a 2012 study um, found that in Stand Your Ground states, when white shooters kill black people, 34%, so that's a little over a third, uh, are, are deemed justifiable. Do you want to take a guess at how Wait, many... that's it? Yeah, so most of them still aren't, right? But oh, you, know, okay. you know what happens. People fucking shoot someone else, and then they're like... <laughs> Oh, I was standing my ground. That's why. Right. <laughs> oh, it was self-defense. So still the majority of them are. But but fully one out of three when a white guy shoots a black guy uh, are justifiable. Would you like to guess the statistics on how many are real justifiable when the shooter's black and the victim's white? I'll say that uh, even odds probably because we are a uh, – because racism's over. We're not racist, right. 
right. 3%. 3%. That is an order of fucking magnitude lower. So when a black guy shoots a white guy, what is that? One out of 33 will say, I'm not going to prison, right? Right. And when a white guy shoots a black guy, one out of three don't go to prison. So that's how non-racist yeah. the stand your fucking ground laws are. Also, 30% of those one out of 33 black guys that get off from shooting a white guy, turns out the white guy was Hispanic. <laughs> Sorry. You're just, you're just pulling these statistics out of your ass now. Um, yes. So uh, it's time to get rid of these stand your ground laws for fuck's sake. And, you know, we, we need to start taking a look at our society when when we look into a an SUV full of black kids and we see lethal threat. Yeah. And by the way, Michael Dunn, if you've got time to walk back to your car, grab your fucking 9mm out of your goddamn glove compartment, and then fire back, your life is not in danger. It wasn't in danger. Danger comes in a lot of forms, Chuck. Not just black teenagers playing music. So also, can, can we please... popcorn throwing middle-aged white guys. Jesus, no kidding. Can we please not only address the stand-your-ground laws, but address... The ability of these fuckers to carry guns, for God's sakes. If he had not had access to a gun, what would have happened that night? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's crazy talk now, Chuck. No what would have happened was they both would have filled their gas station. He would have been mildly annoyed, and they both right. would have gone home. Both and would have filled their gas station. over his pizza. Yeah, right, exactly. Would have fumed. Since he had uh, a possession of a gun, a life was snuffed out. And a kid died that night. And same thing with that theater. If that retired asshole a police officer had not had possession of a gun, what would have happened? Popcorn would have been thrown in the guy's face. He would have been angry. He would have been seen. Maybe would have left the theater, got a refund for his ticket, and uh, no harm would have come to anybody. <laughs> Worst that would have happened, maybe he would have tackled the guy and got the shit kicked out of him. Worst case scenario. But since he had a possession of a gun, he gets popcorn thrown in his face, bam, bam, shoots the fucking guy in the chest, kills him. Well, what are you carrying your gun for if you're not going to use it? And what do you, <laughs> what do you think his defense was? I was threatened for my life. I thought it was going to kill me. <sighs> it, yeah, I think it's a high time for gun control laws to be put through. Both of these guys should be uh, spending the rest of their life in fucking jail, although I doubt that's going to happen. They no. both should be spending the rest of their life in jail and never have access to firearms again. I'm going to say – I'm going to prophecy – I'm going to prophecy, Chuck, uh, right now that that guy, this guy Dunn, he gets off with some sort of reduced manslaughter charge. That's what I, I'm – that's know, what, no time, sir. I don't see how when there are no weapons. This dick is making me sad. It's a sad dick. All right. Let's move on. I'm, I, can't, yeah. I can't talk about that fucking anymore. Wait till we get into the debate. <laughs> You'll calm down then. Oh, yeah. That's good. That'll be good for my blood pressure. Well – uh, what else? What other dicks have been around? Has anybody? Uh, been... I, I got one for you. Oh yeah. How about the LDS Church? A frequent uh, yes, contestant. No, stop right there. I, yes. <laughs> a frequent <laughs> contestant. A uh, frequent appearance on the uh, Skug Dicks this year. Um, Amendment three to the Utah Constitution says in its entirety: marriage consists of the legal union between a man and a woman. That's not good enough, though, Matt. There's a second part. No. No other domestic union, however denominated, may be recognized as a marriage or given the same or substantially equivalent legal effect. So you can't give it the same legal standing. You can't even be substantially near it. So um, basically the uh, – No matter how denominated. You know what? I would like to – Talk uh, about the Unitarians, I think. 
I would like to pass a, a constitutional amendment, a United States constitutional amendment, to entitle these laws honestly. This constitutional oh, amendment yeah, yeah. is not constitutional amendment three. This constitutional amendment is fuck gays. <laughs> fuck gays up the ass law. That's what this is called. Fuck you, you can't gay call it people. That. Fuck you, gay if, people, because ew. That's what it should be called. If you call it fuck gays up the ass law, they would vote for it. You can't call it that. <laughs> well, they did vote for it. There's no difference. I mean, the gays would have voted for it, too. They'd be uh, like, yeah. Yeah, they'd be tricked into voting it. Hey, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it's like the Clean Air Act. I like Clean Air. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so um, it passed, and then it got thrown out by a, uh, a federal judge, an activist judge, and uh, and then the Supreme Court said, whoa, 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 lots of gay people are getting married here. We got to put a stop to that. So put that on hold. Until we have a chance to look over it. Because you can't allow gay people to get married while you're looking over it. That no, because that... Oh, my God. That one guy might die of starvation. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, save that guy's life. Um, and so the LDS Church, um, who feeling a little stung, I think, last month from all the backlash against Proposition 8, uh, said that, you know, we have no current plans to get involved in the Amendment 3 case. Uh, that lasted a little less than a month. <laughs> and now uh, they are filing a... Friend of the court brief. Just, you know. Friend of the court. I love it. An amicus curiae. They couldn't help themselves. <laughs> They're sitting on their thumbs. Oh, I gotta do it. I had to look up friend of the court, what that meant, actually. And yeah. somebody has nothing to do with the case. Yeah. They're not a just plaintiff. wants to stick their freaking nose in there. They're not a plaintiff. They're not a defendant. They're just a friend of the – just a friendly – I just want to help the court decide. Help so I'm going to file this friend of the court brief just to help you guys. Uh, they need help. LDS Church couldn't fucking help themselves. Friend of the court brief. Yeah. All right, uh, Matt, uh, the LDS Church is um, a pretty good candidate for skunk dick. Um, the anti-abortion guy, pretty good. But I'm going to say Michael Dunn is the skunk dick of the week for uh, standing his ground – by retreating back into his uh, glove compartment and grabbing a gun. Mm, Michael Dunn, skunk dick. That's, uh, I would like that title to be permanent. <laughs> but um, He's definitely going to be a candidate for skunk dick of the year. Absolutely. Um, I wonder what he'll do next. Maybe he'll do a uh, celebrity boxing match. Then uh, that's not going to happen. But uh, Wildly improbable. <laughs> I was really excited when I saw that George Zimmerman was going to box DMX, and I was like, oh, <laughs> great idea, George. Then they canceled it because somebody, somebody with a brain told him probably not to do that. Although I would pay to see George Zimmerman get the shit kicked out of him. That is, I wouldn't pay for his art, but <laughs> I, I might pay for that. I would volunteer to be the uh, boxing <laughs> physician who makes the determination whether or not to stop the fight. <laughs> Keep going. He's okay. I'll do Let's that for free. <laughs> <laughs> yep. DMX, are you still in fear for your life? Well, keep going. <laughs> keep going. I'm going to go with the church because I like um, hypocrisy. <laughs> Not only – they're double hypocrites. They're double dicks on this one because the uh, constitutional amendment number three would violate the own church a hundred fucking years ago. They're, they were fighting for the right to uh, have a man, a woman, and a woman. And they were fighting against the government who was interfering with their right to marry. And now they're uh, amending their own fucking constitution. 
You know, you remember, Matt, that the that the government would not give them statehood until they put into their constitution right. that you can't marry polygamously. <sighs> if only they thought of gay marriage back then. They could have had that in already. And then it'd be traditional. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's plug that in the computer, see what we got. Well, um, I'm surprised. The actual skunk dick is Islamic fundamentalists in Syria. No! Why is that? Why is that? This, Matt, I think, might strike close to home for you. This hits me right in my degree. Right in my <laughs> Bachelor's of Science taint. That is got to um. <laughs> Right in your anthropology degree. Right. They're destroying archaeological treasures, Chuck. Byzantine mosaics, uh, Greek and Roman statues, because they portray human beings in contrary to their religious beliefs. Matt, I think it's okay to destroy priceless, irreplaceable objects if you just disagree with the portrayal of religious beliefs. I think so. I guess I didn't think this through. (laughs) Yes, well done. (laughs) I believe that religious beliefs should trump priceless, irreplaceable archaeological treasures. Right, things that teach us about our past and history, and that are they're also great art. But no, fuck that shit. Just again, here's a problem with religion: you can't step outside of yourself. So basically, what you're saying, if you're destroying other people's archaeological treasures because they disagree with your religious beliefs, it's okay for say Christians or Hindus to destroy priceless, irreplaceable Muslim archaeological treasures because it doesn't agree with their religion, but they can't see that because. Their religion's true, you see. Oh, that's right. This reminds me of when the uh, the Taliban they dynamited the uh, the Bamiyan Buddha statues, the the giant statues of Buddha, uh, carved into a cliff wall because because fuck it, that's why they just, just had to. It. I don't like those fat Buddhas, priceless, irreplaceable. Or when uh, you know the United States bulldozed its way into fucking Iraq, and what happened to? Uh, did we? Do we even give a shit about the Antiquities Museum that That's was covered right. in there? No, that looted. was like the last thought on their list. Priceless treasures looted, gone. Now, isn't that's that's weirdly in opposition to like like what is it? The the one good thing about Hitler is that he didn't want to bomb Paris because right, because priceless, so much priceless art there. The one redeeming Hitler. There's a there's something Islamic fundamentalists could learn from Hitler. See? Chuck. <laughs> Hitler had some good ideas. He <laughs> wasn't all bad. Oh, somebody's gonna make a, a soundbite out of that. <laughs> gonna gonna regret saying that. All right, shall oh, we move on God. to the meat of the podcast? The Ken Ham, Bill Nye, the Science Guy, Battle of the Century. What's like the Muhammad Ali? Well, don't they all oh, rhyme oh, that it shit? Was, <laughs> it was the uh, like the Thrilla in Manila. Yeah, that's it. Rumble in the jungle. The fucking it, in Kentucky. The fucking in Kentucky. Uh, sure, why not? Matt, you, as you may know, Bill Nye and Ken Ham recently had a debate. Say what? About creationism. So that you know brings up the big question. And once once this was announced, my first thought was, why the fuck would you do that? Bill Nye, why in God's name would you do that? And um, it kind of lit up the skeptical internet saying, you know, should you debate creationists? Should you give them the legitimacy? Should you not debate them? And actually, Ken Ham, during his debate, highlighted a couple of those from Richard Dawkins' site, you know, you should never debate uh, creationists. So my, my question to you, Matt, is should this debate ever have taken place? Yes, 
And why? Why? I would say <laughs> I would say no. Why, you would why do say you no. Say, I would say no for this reason. I think non-prominent scientists who are good debaters mm-hmm. should go ahead and do these debates. But yeah. prominent scientists, uh, Richard Dawkins, Bill Nye is one of them, uh, people who have a name are just, uh, I agree, lending credibility, but not only credibility, lending money to these people. If you uh, multiply out the cost of the seat uh, by the capacity of the arena, he probably cleared about thirty grand. Really? Before you even talk about DVD sales, just by seating alone and all this free yeah. publicity. So um, I think that uh, no way would say say I debated him, right? You can't right. pull in thirty grand for that bullshit. No, no one's going to watch the. Uh, uh, so I pull in thirty bucks. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Non-prominent scientists who are good debaters, I think, should, for probably the reasons you're going to lay out. Why do you think the debate should have happened? Well, I, I understand how most people feel. They don't. They don't want to, you know, give that air of legitimacy to creationism, right? Right, exactly. Um, Why don't we have a debate about uh, Quetzalcoatl's uh, right. uh, origins, theory of origins, or the Hindu theory of origins, or the Babylonian or the Sumerian? I mean, it's exactly the same legitimacy. Or the uh, gods' uh, magic instead of gravity, right? The um, celestial bodies are rotating around the Earth because God's angels pushing them, right? Why don't we have right, a debate should... against that? I mean, it's fucking ludicrous. We should be having all those debates. It bothers uh... me in 2014. We're still fucking talking about an ark with a bunch of species floating around for a year. We're having a fucking serious debate about this shit. Are you going to let me talk? No. <laughs> See, this is how you debate. You're winning the debate right now. <laughs> now that's a debate. This wasn't a debate, by the way. We'll get into that later. It wasn't a fucking debate. My feelings is that, um, look, a lot of this country is Christian, right? Uh, and what what are the percentages we hear on uh, how many believe in creationism, evolution? It's like, it's like crazy numbers. It's like 40% or 45%. You get somebody a little bit prominent – Prominent, but not like like I like the choice of Nye because he's not a working scientist. You know what I mean? He's not he's not Dawkins or or uh, Eugenie Scott or whoever you want to put in there. But he he is he is, and he's not even like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's you know is actually a director of the the what the the New York um, Planetarium or whatever. You know what the fuck I'm talking about? Anyway, he's an entertainer. He's been an entertainer for a long time, and he's great. I love him. Um, the people who agree with Ham, I mean, you can see it from those stupid question cards that happen after debate. They're not going to be swayed. They're not going to be swayed by anything that goes on there tonight. But, but, but it's possible. The, pe- the people that agree with Nye are definitely not going to go down the road of creationism after listening to Ken Ham. But I think Nye could have reached some people just a little bit. Now, after watching the debate, I changed my mind <laughs> because <laughs> – well, we're going to talk about that, but uh, but before the debate, I was kind of for it. I, w- I was thinking, I was thinking, he'll n- we'll lose nobody to this, and and we might gain somebody. We might gain a few. I was the opposite. I, I thought that before the debate, it was a bad idea. It was a no-win situation. You're only going to benefit the Creation Museum. After the debate, um, I think Bill Nye did a, a really good job, probably uh, as good as he could. Although I think he slipped up in a couple instances and, and lost a few. Yeah, he missed a openings. Few. Well, he's not he's not familiar apparently with like with all this craziness tripe they pull out all right. the time. Right, exactly. And uh he should have been. But I think overall he did a really good job. 
So uh, after the debate, I read an article uh, that compared the actual debate to um, that line out of The Watchmen where Rorschach is is, uh, in prison, and he says, Uh you know, you're making a mistake here. Uh, I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. Me. Right? That's part of the whole fucking movie. Right. It's not like the scientists are stuck in there with Ken Ham. The creations are stuck in there with Bill Nye. So um, you do have a good opportunity to uh, lay some seeds, and that's why I think the debate should happen, even though, I, I granted, uh, debates are not the best forum for discovering truth. They're, no, they're, they're, they're one of the terrible. worst. They're one of the worst. Um, because you don't win by fact. There's, you don't win by evidence. You win by rhetoric. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And so scientists typically are, are poor rhetoricians. They don't understand rhetoric or debates. That's why debate is an entirely separate field, right? You have to learn rhetoric. You have to learn how to debate against these people. And you got to be real familiar with the tropes uh, that they pull out. Um, and, and it's possible to embarrass them. And I think they should be embarrassed. But it's it, what a good idea for the debate would be uh, for someone uh, who's familiar with all these arguments to go in there and plant seeds. People have been convinced, and, and it may not happen right away, but uh, those seeds are planted and they, they may bear fruit, you know, six months, a year from now. Um, yeah. And so they, they, I think that is that is a good point, that those creationists are stuck in there with Bill Nye. Now, how do you think Ham did? I'm, uh, I cannot assess Ham's performance uh, unbiased. I think he's <laughs> I know, I a know. fucking slimy weasel, and I think he came off as a slimy weasel. Uh, and I thought he uh, did a horrible. I think he's a he's a bad debater. I th- he never see. I, th- I thought he was really slick. Uh, he just goes off on like these creationist gish gallops, which I am now calling the ham spam. <laughs> so we have the gish gallop, the hoven hustle, and the ham spam. It's supposed to start with an H. You're supposed to do some alliteration. That's right. Um, the ham I- hoedown. That's what I'm naming it. <laughs> I love how he just he would just he would just continuously rattle on a bunch of stuff that makes it sound like he knows things. Like, oh, you don't know the rates of uh, uh, radiometric uh, uh, isochronic dating techniques to get your paradigms, your dot of elements. You, you don't know this. You just assume those. And you learned absolutely nothing. He says no information, but he says like a whole sentence is supposed to make him sound smart. I, I got the whole feeling through the debate that he was – this is what I like. This is, this is my contrast between two of them. Whatever Ham spoke – I felt like he was talking down to me. Oh, you know, you don't know these things. You got you got to know. You know, here I'm going to tell you now. And and Nye would explain things. You know, he would impart knowledge, and Ham would just talk down to you. You don't know shit. You weren't there. <laughs> it was that was part of I think why he was he had a bad debate strategy. And I think this debate was born out of desperation on Ken Ham's part. I don't think he wanted really to do it. I think he had to do it because his Kentucky Creation Museum is hemorrhaging money and he needs publicity and he needs funds. And his ARC project is uh, about to falter uh, as soon as this month. So um, he seemed like – That was one of the things that I didn't like. I did not know it was going to be at the Creation Museum. Right. right. Um, Bill Nye, you need to get a neutral forum for fuck's sake. (laughs) Right. Um, And again, this is a problem with scientists doing this shit. They just don't know. I had to listen to that in the beginning. Welcome to the Creation Museum in Kentucky. We heard answers in generous. We heard the Creation Museum. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was at the very, very beginning. Very first thing you get out of the audio stream, the video stream, is this commercial. 
Oh, hi, kids. I have an incredible message for you. Hey, can someone take Goma back to the petting zoo? Wow, that looks like fun. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. In 2014, kids 12 and under come free. Hey, shouldn't the comets be in the planetarium? For the entire year, kids 12 and under come free. Hey, T-Rex, you better get back to the dinosaur den. As you can see, it's a very exciting place. Now tell your parents, kids 12 and under free in 2014 when accompanied by a paying adult. We hope to see you soon. So, kids 12 and under come free, Matt. Um, <sighs> I always come free. Look. <laughs> Sorry. Fortunately, this isn't Catholic Church we're talking about. Yeah. But there you have it. There, um... That's the primary reason he's holding this debate, um, but yeah, I think he, I think he, uh, the, and, and again, I'm biased, but I think he did a lot worse than uh, uh, Bill Nye, yeah. just because he, uh, and, and it's the apologist curse. The Christian apologists revel in shit that we don't know, and they want to keep it that way. They want to stay because they insert God into we don't know, and so they want to keep everything yeah. we don't know as as not knowing. And uh, Nye hit again and again, I don't know this, but that's what drives us. We need to find it. It's the exact opposite with Christian apologists. Right. We need to st- keep this this gray area so we have room to fit God into. Yeah, I, I wish Nye had expanded on that just a little bit more. I did like what he said, but, you know, I don't know. It's not a dirty word. You know, it, it's something great. It's how we learn things, and we become better not just from the learning but from the process. Right. Right. I mean, the fucking debate topic was, is creation a viable model of origins in today's modern scientific era? And Ham didn't say shit on that, apparently. He preached like, – 60% of everything he said was just talking about the Bible and not in any supportive way. Just <laughs> I, I, I was flabbergasted when he, um, in his 30-minute presentation, you know, just started fucking quoting scriptures. It was right. Just going off about gay marriage and abortion, and yeah. just like John three sixteen, like motherfuck. I thought um, Nye should have, since that was the main question, he should have focused on how shitty a model of origins it actually is. He should yeah. have pummeled him on that. Stop, you know, don't. This isn't about evolution. It's not a debate about evolution. It's not in the question. Is, is Ken Ham's model of origins viable in today's modern scientific? No, it's not. And here's why. He did a little bit about that when he talked about the Ark, but my God, he should have just—he yeah. he should have just crushed him. All right, um, let's get into the debate itself. I want to cover a couple things here. I don't want to go blow by blow over the whole fucking two-hour, forty-five-minute debate, but I want to. Yeah, because it would in. take forever. Every sentence Ham said. It would take longer than the two hour, 45 minutes. Um, I want to focus in on a few things that uh, Ham brought up that I don't think were sufficiently addressed by Bill Nye. The the main thrust of Ken Ham's argument was that there's a difference between experimental and historical science. So he wants to divide uh, observational science into experimental or observational Observational. and historical. He's Ken Ham, the observational science bloke. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. I'm a bloke. He says public school textbooks use the same word for observational and historical science. Uh, and, th- and that's right, Ken, because they both use the same fucking methods. Science. <laughs> I mean, when, when you are able to observe and, and repeat and, and experiment, we do that. 
When we're not able to, we use the same fucking methods. We take the data, and we draw inferences, and we uh, construct hypotheses, and we see if those hypotheses withstand criticism and falsification. That's what science is. If it doesn't withstand it, either with the uh, experiments or with the data that we see, every time we take a measurement, Ken, that's a fucking experiment. That we, we put our... Um, hypothesis against that we we test our theories against our observations i like uh i like ham's i mean sorry, sorry i like nye's uh he kind of responded to that with the using the example of the tv show csi which you know according to cam you'd never be able to solve a murder because you weren't there right you know but but that that was his point using a popular example you can go back you can examine evidence and you can find out what happened in the past it's it's possible you right. don't have to be there I also liked later on in the debate where he pointed out astronomy. You know, every time anyone does astronomy, it's looking into the past. Into the That's past. all we do in astronomy. We look into the past. We have well, wait, what old. about that one guy that says there's nothing in astronomy that contradicts young Earth? You know, nothing. I do like how defensive he was too, right? Ham came across as very defensive, and this is Oh, yeah. Oh, he was playing a harder card. It's encouraging to me that they're so defensive. These evangelical Christians are so defensive because they have they can feel the crushing weight of evidence against them. And so he's, he's, he says in his opening, Christians can be scientists too, right? And he plays an audio clip of a bunch of scientists who, who are evangelical Christians who apparently believe the world is 6,000 years old, but they can do science. They're scientists. Let me play you, Matt, uh, an audio clip of the guy who invented the MRI, and you tell me you tell me what you think about this. Hi, my name is Dr. Raymond Demadian. I am a young Earth creation scientist and believe that God created the world in six 24-hour days, just as recorded in the book of Genesis. By God's grace and the devoted prayers of my godly mother-in-law, I invented the MRI scanner in 1969. <laughs> By God's grace and the devoted prayers of my godly mother-in-law, I invented the MRI scanner. That's exactly how it happened. So he was sitting in his basement one day, and his mother-in-law prayed, and by God's grace, he fucking drew out the blueprint of an MRI scanner. It was amazing. No prior training, no particular expertise in the area, no, no scientific uh, study. He just fucking, by revelation and prayer, wrote the full, old fucking blueprint out. If there's one thing I learned from the television show, The Big Bang Theory, there's a difference between scientists and technicians, Chuck. It's I think he's just a technician. <laughs> Look, I'm a technician too as a physician, right? I don't go out there and do the fucking research on this shit. I, I read the research uh, and I help interpret it and I help implement it into practice, but I'm a plumber. I don't, I don't carry out the original science. And right. so you can very easily compartmentalize this shit and believe, and I know, uh, I know physicians who are Christian, and you just keep it in a separate part of your brain and you do the science. So um, I'm I'm a little disturbed at at the idea that creationists would be out there doing original science and, and carrying out original experiments and pushing the boundaries of science. I don't buy that, but they can be uh, competent technicians if they're trained well. You know, Ham was really playing the uh, the martyr card here in the beginning. You know, he trotted out uh, Stuart Burgess. He has a PhD in engineering design. So you know, pull out pull out an engineer. Great, uh, that's your PhD. But he said, many of my colleagues are sympathetic to the creationist viewpoint, but they're afraid to speak out because of the media and atheist lobby. 
Right. And then Han, Ham chimes in with like, yeah, we need to have freedom to be able to speak on these topics. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. You do have freedom. You have it. But you have to have fucking knowledge, too. It's this sense of self-preservation because they know how stupid it sounds. They don't want to say it in public <laughs> around other scientists because they'll get ripped to shreds. And what a stupid – scientists are like that, man. There's no more brutal arena yeah. than – a fucking peer-reviewed article that you publish, scientists will jump on that and rip it to shreds if it, it's at all possible because they advance their careers by doing that. They're basically saying we need to put forth our ideas without criticism. Yes, exactly. I want the freedom not to be criticized by by putting forth an idea that a big fat ark that was built by eight people and, and housed 14,000 fucking animals could float on the world for a year without any problems. <sighs> Uh, now I did some math on that. I like that part. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's still Nye's a quick awesome. math. <laughs> I want to play this audio for you too because this is uh, this is an important point Ham brings up. And you hear this from apologists all the fucking time. Non-Christian scientists are really borrowing from the Christian worldview anyway to carry out their experimental observational science. Think about it. When they're doing observational science using a scientific method, they have to assume the laws of logic. They have to assume the laws of nature. They have to assume the uniformity of nature. I mean, think about it. If the universe came about by natural processes, where'd the laws of logic come from? Did they just pop into existence? Are we in a stage now where we only have half logic? So you see, I have a question for Bill Nye. How do you account for the laws of logic and the laws of nature from a naturalistic worldview that excludes the existence of God? Yeah. Yeah, Ham's got half logic. <laughs> <laughs> he is in a state of half logic. Uh, I, I, this, uh, this sets me off, too, that, you know... They can't deny the um, amazing technologies that are the fruits of science, right? And so they want to co-opt all of science very easily by saying that non-Christian scientists are borrowing from the Christian worldview, the creationist right. worldview. Because you've got to assume the laws of logic and the laws of nature and the funeral. You know, um, we don't assume the laws of nature. No one's assumed the laws of nature. No one's assumed the universe. That's what we see. Oh, yeah, a lot of hard work study went into determining things. Drives me up the wall. That's what we observe. That's what we have come to. This is a conclusion that we've come to. Um, and the, the laws of logic? What the fuck do you mean we assume the laws of logic? Ken Ham apparently believes that everything in, in the world can be uh, found in the Bible, right? Where are the laws of logic found in the Bible? Um, Genesis. Does he not even know how we got the laws of logic? They were developed by pagans, you fucker. They were developed by Greeks, Greek pagans such as Aristotle, Euclid. I mean, this was philosophy. Yeah. This wasn't revelated on high from fucking Jesus and the Holy Ghost and, and, and God saying, here are the laws of logic. With, with Genesis, with the Old Testament, with the New Testament, you have no laws of logic. Are you sure about that? <laughs> I, love the, I love later on when he's talking about this. And says how the Bible explains everything, and explains explains where the world came from, where clothes came from, and, and why women, and why we eat meat, and or eat vegetables, and animals do this. And I'm just listening, going, that's in like the first two pages, right? It's like God created the world, and He said, here, here's this world for you. Uh, wear some clothes now because you're stupid. Yeah, you don't and need then, the rest uh, of the Bible. <laughs> don't need the rest of the Bible. First couple, first two chapters, Genesis done. Yeah, I, I really. Uh, the whole assuming you have to assume you have to assume was was bugging the shit out of me. God, he put like four syllables into assume once. You have to <laughs> assume. My favorite was radiometric dating. 
He says, you got to assume, assume the rates of decay. And that's it's like, no, they decay at a predictable rate. You take you can you can determine the age from a, a ratio of the parent isotopes to the daughter isotopes. You take what you have now. You add the original, which is what you get from taking now the decayed and the and the, or the parent daughter add them together, and you you multiply that times two with x over the half life, whatever it is, and you just solve for x. It's like fucking math. They're, right. they're not <laughs> right. There there are methods of dating isochron dating, for example. Yeah. That don't um, have any assumptions of beginning amount of isotope or ending amount of isotope. Uh, it's plotted against a point in a curve, and it, it's the closest to an absolute method of dating we have. That would take an entire podcast, I think, to yeah, yeah, to go over. But you're right. Um, he, he pounds on these assumptions as if they're somehow undermining the mathematics. Right? Ridiculous. And those assumptions—they're um, well-founded assumptions, and there is nothing that we observe that uh, would tell us that that assumption is wrong. When you have multiple dating methods pointing to the same date, and when you've confirmed one dating method with multiple other dating methods, then you can feel confident that your assumptions are correct. These are well-founded assumptions. They're not just shit that we grab out of uh, thin air. And when he says that that non-Christian scientists are borrowing from the, the creationist or Christian worldview to have science, again, if if this scientific method which he, you know, which he's co-opted from science, right, came out of the Christian worldview. Why do we have Christianity for 15, 1600 years before we have science? The whole history of science is casting off authoritarian dogma and, and Christian worldviews and actually looking at the evidence. That's why we have science, as, we, as we've thrown your fucking Bible out the door and done our experiments. And there's nothing in the Bible that says, forget about what I have to say and go do a bunch of fucking experiments. That'll help you out. <laughs> do you remember when he uh. said, you know, we used to think, because science changes and therefore, you know, it could be wrong. We used right. to think that we just uh, work on cadavers and then uh, go and deliver babies and, and then you not have any problem. But now we know that there's bacteria. And how did we know that, Ken? Fucking science. Oh, That's it's from when... It's from when Jesus told people to wash their hands after they take a shit. Yeah, when Jesus specifically <laughs> said, it doesn't fucking matter if you wash your hands. <laughs> Matter of fact, isn't it you're not supposed to wash your hands? I can't remember. Well, it was, anyway. You remember it was the tradition of the elders to wash their hands before, right, to clean themselves. And uh, Jesus specifically said, that's the tradition of men. You're not listening to God because that's his people right. weren't washing his hands. That's right. Uh, All right, so – uh, Ken Ham lists a bunch of predictions based on the Bible. Oh, he's got predictions because uh, Nye kept asking for some. Yes, I want you to I want you to listen carefully to these predictions and see if there's any uh, any problem with these predictions. Okay. If our origins or historical science based on the Bible, uh, the Bible's account of origins is true, then there should be predictions from this that we can test using observational science, and there are. For instance, based on the Bible, we'd expect to find evidence confirming an intelligence confirming an intelligence produced life. We'd expect to find evidence confirming after their kind. The Bible says God made kinds of animals and plants after their kind, implying each kind produces its own, not that one kind changes into another. Uh, you'd expect to find evidence confirming a global flood of Noah's day, uh, evidence confirming one race of humans, because we all go back to Adam and Eve. Biologically, that would mean there's one race. Evidence confirming the Tower of Babel, that God gave different languages. 
evidence confirming a young universe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's the predictions. He's, uh, he's fantasy got, stories to explain got, the multitude of languages explains languages. Six predictions, but there are two useful predictions in here. Yeah. Um, one race, which how do we know there's one race? Oh, it's confirmed by science. <laughs> Wait, specifically, what about <laughs> specifically says it's confirmed by science, and that's how we know there's one race. What about the Neanderthals? Craig Venter's uh, study, Human Genome Project, it, it confirms that we're much more alike than we are different. So there's one human race, so science confirms that. Uh, ah. Now, my my question to Ken Ham would be: If there's only one race, whence cometh racism? How come a bunch of Christians? Uh, participated in slavery and and a bunch of Christians uh, after slavery was thrown out uh, continued to oppress uh, black people, uh, forcing the government to get involved and and make civil rights laws. How come those Christians didn't understand there's just one race? If If it's so clear in the Bible that we have one race because of Adam and Eve, how come we're racist? Well, Chuck, I've talked to Ham about this. It's it's because it's easier to say racist than variation with a kindism within a kindism. <laughs> it's too awkward. See, I can even get it out. You variation within a kindest. So either Christianity is useless in preventing racism because it obviously hasn't historically, uh, or God's just a piss poor communicator, the omnipotent supreme leader of the universe. Um, the different languages is not a prediction. That's a post-diction. Right. We look around and see different languages. Oh, oh. that was predicted. <laughs> no, that's not a fucking prediction, you asshole. Same thing with animals reproduce after their kind. You think that the writers of the Bible in the 6th century BC didn't fucking know that dogs give birth to dogs? Uh, so those are not predictions. Those are, those are post-dictions. So you can cross those off. Ah, but what about... The global flood. The global flood is wrong. The young universe is wrong. And and then you're left with what? An intelligence produced life? That's just an assertion. That's not a prediction. Right. So cross off all of those. Nothing. What we need and what I, what I wish that Nye would have hammered him more on is what we need is a prediction that we have yet to observe. Yeah. Give me a prediction and then let's go look for it. Right. Predict something and then let's try to confirm or reject it. That's what we need. And I wish he would have hammered it on that. He kept asking a prediction, and, and, and Ham kept saying, I gave you a bunch of predictions. I gave you predictions. gave you a whole list of predictions. Those yeah. aren't fucking predictions. And when they are predictions, they're wrong. All right. Um, did you notice that he, he said that um, evolution was hijacked? <laughs> I did notice that. Everything's been hijacked. Science has been hijacked. The secularists, Chuck, they're hijacked. Yes. yes, we're all about hijacking shit. I believe the word evolution has been hijacked by secularists, the word evolution has been hijacked using what I call a bait and switch. Let me explain to you. The word evolution is being used in in public school textbooks and we often see it in documentaries and so on. It's used for observable changes that we would agree with and then used for unobservable changes such as molecules to man. I fucking hate when he says molecules to man. Yeah. It just bugs me every time. Yeah. He repeats that like 80 times this thing. And that's molecules demand evolution. Well, we don't agree with that because we weren't there. So it's the old micro versus macro evolution. And yeah. again, um, we've covered this multiple times before, but if you accept observable micro evolution, but you reject unobservable macro evolution, then 
A, you need to explain the fact of evolution, which is that you, in the lowest rock forms, you have uh, single-cell organisms, and a little higher, you've got multiple-cell organisms, and then it spreads out into more and more complex. You've got to, you've got to explain the fact of that. And, and his uh, idea that <laughs> Global Flood deposited all this shit, I think and I dispense with very well when he said, how come one of those didn't swim up into the next layer? <laughs> but one single fucking fossil. So not only do you have to explain the facts and evidence better than evolutionary theory does, you also have to um, propose a barrier. Um, he claims that there's limits to evolution when he gives his creation orchard a diagram where uh, the tree of life from Darwin springs from one, and the, there's an orchard of creationism where <laughs> there's a bird and a dog and all this, all this other, you know, within their own kinds. He proposes there are limits, but he, that's just a naked assertion. He just asserts that there are limits. Right. What's your mechanism, Ken? And he doesn't explain. Again, this is the problem with creationist thinking, that you think that once you've asserted something, you've explained it. You haven't. Right. You need to explain. You have to provide a mechanism. An explanation is like, here's how complexity comes about. You have natural selection acting on random mutation. That is a mechanism for complexity. You have, when you assert that, you have explained nothing. Right. That's what was bugging me every time. He, that was one, well, that's one of the things that was bugging me. Um, like I was saying before, the ham, ham never explained – and I would explain yes. things. I, I, right. Ham would say something stupid like, well, you know, plate tectonics, uh, well, that's just assuming they all moved at the same rate in the past, and that's how they figured it out. Well, no, that's, that's not what happened, and he just says that with, and doesn't give any other information. But then Nye yes. goes, no, here's how we know, seafloor spreading. Uh, minerals in the Earth's crust line up to the magnetic field. The magnetic field switched over time. You can like you can figure out the rate of expansion based on that. Yes, and you know, I think and you learn something. That's the crux as to why creationists and religious people in general make shitty scientists. They make they can make good technicians like Francis Collins, who was mentioned in the debate, devout Christian, who's the head of the is it the Genome uh, Project? Uh, Collins wasn't he the head of the National Institute of Health? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, Collins National Institute of Health, and and he uh, did. I think he brought the genome project in on time and, and under budget. I think he's a very good technician. But as far as any explanatory shit, you know, creating new scientific fields, creating new explanations, I don't think they have the conceptual framework to do that. That's why they make okay technicians and and could be very good technicians, but make shitty scientists. Yeah. All right, um, uh, Ham brings up Lenski's E. coli experiments, and he has a he, he brings up a scientist, man. He's got a PhD microbiologist at Liberty University. <laughs> he's got a micro. He's got a biologist. He's well, got this a, is what I was waiting for. He's got a PhD, and he explains to us the problem with Lenski's E. coli experiments. When I look at the evidence that people cite of a E. coli supposedly evolving. Uh, over 30 years, over 30,000 generations in the lab, and people say that it is now able to grow on citrate. I don't deny that it grows on citrate, but it's not any kind of new information. It's the information's already there, and it's just a switch that gets turned on and off. And it, that's what they reported in there. There's nothing new. Are you, are you kidding me? So every mutation that like a bacteria or virus goes through and becomes like drug resistant to this or that. Is already contained within it, and it, yes. like it's got everything there. Yeah, God's, God's thrown that in there already. Now, Matt, if it was simply a switch that turned on or off, now the experiments um, by Lenski 
they he puts he pretty much puts uh, these E. coli into petri dishes in harsh conditions, so they have like low glucose, and and in some of these have they have high citrate concentrations but low glucose, and and they're geared to to make energy out of glucose, right? So if it's just a switch that turns on and off, why did it fucking take thirty thousand generations to turn that switch off? Well, they're slow learners. <laughs> <laughs> What actually happened was there are three separate mutations that occurred. And you can, you can prove this when you go back into the – because every 500 generations, he saved uh, a sample of each of these um, bacteria uh, colonies, right? So before 20,000 generations, nothing, nothing that could digest uh, citrate and, and make energy on citrate before 20,000 generations. These remained extremely rare until about the, the 27,000th generation and at that point they were just rare <laughs> rare <laughs> right and so you had a, a a single mutation then and then you had a second uh, mutation i think at around 31000 and then a further mutation uh, a little bit later and that allowed the uh, e coli to rapidly metabolize citrate and at that point the citrate metabolizers became somewhere around 98 to 99% of the population and the glucose metabolizers became 1%. So this is not simply a switch turning it on and off. This is uh, three separate mutations, which, by the way, in Michael Behe's book, Limits of Evolution, he would say that those three separate mutations are far too uncommon for this to provide a mechanism for evolution. But there we have it demonstrated. What is the chance of that happening? Uh, I, I would to- say far <laughs> less than zero. What do you want to bet this uh, Liberty University microbiologist read the – what do you call that first page that a scientist uh, submits his uh, work with? Right, exactly. He read the abstract and said – The abstract. That's what it's called, the abstract. Oh, it must be a switch. It's just a switch. Nope. I don't need to read the rest of it. (laughs) I want to uh, play for you Ken Ham's idea of science education. Oh. I want to see more Dr. Demadians in the world. You know, if we teach them the whole universe is a result of natural processes and not designed by a creator God, they might be looking in the wrong places or have the wrong idea when they're looking at the creation uh, in regard to how you develop technology because if they look on it as just random processes, that could totally influence the way they think. If they understand it was a perfect world marred by sin, that could have a great effect on and how they then look for overcoming diseases and problems in the world. Yes, because creationists throughout the ages have been so fucking good at determining yeah. reality of science and, <laughs> and, and curing diseases. Well, for some reason you have to look at the world as if it's marred by sin to really figure out <laughs> how things work. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, he's feeling, like I said, he's feeling the crush of the weight of the evidence, and he's feeling scared, I think, that the the majority of the science is is being carried out and pushed forward by atheists, uh, you know, from the 20th century onward, because it's becoming less and less accepted, uh, this idiotic Christian viewpoint. So I think think he feels that uh, he's got to make a case that, you know, it may disrupt their ability to decide, well, science is going just fine, Ken. (laughs) <laughs> we don't yeah. need a massive shift in science education. We're we're doing just fine. Now, you remember when he said uh, that we we all start with the same data set, right? This is one yeah. of the recurring themes, that we all start with the same data. We can all observe the same stuff. We have the same scientific method. 
um, we just start with different presuppositions. Our assumptions are different, and it leads us to. So if you start, oh yeah, he's illustrated Same this. Different obs- different interpretations. Right. He's illustrated this picture. There's a set of fossilized bones, and there's a secular thinking, you know, Australopithecus, and there's a Christian thinking gorilla. Gorilla. <laughs> I think this idea that <laughs> that we start from different assumptions and that colors our, our thinking process, and then, you know, quite reasonably, we end up at, at different conclusions. I think that idea is profoundly destructive to any sort of actual knowledge. I mean, that, that kind of epistemology really strikes at the, the heart of, of the idea that we can have actual knowledge that reflects truth. Um, if you start with starting from a different assumption, leaving you to a different conclusion, and that's valid, it's just distra- it kind of makes knowledge relative, right? He's like admitting that, well, yeah. maybe this... Maybe this evolution, you can interpret this a little bit differently and come up with evolution, but, you know, you start from a different assumption and, and you come up with this and that's equally good. Um, and I just right. think that I'm right because my assumptions are, are different. I, I like my assumptions. Oh, God, it's like my new age friends when they argue with me. They're like, well, you can't really know anything. <laughs> and I'm like, great. When you leave your second floor apartment, do you want the window or the door? You <laughs> idiot. You know, there are things you can know. Can. Ken Ham, if you start from false premises, you will likely proceed to a false conclusion. Uh, you know, y- there comes a time when you just have to say, you're wrong. You're wrong, Ken. The uh, layers that, that form the Grand Canyon with their fossilized raindrops didn't form in the flood. They didn't sift out of the flood. You are wrong. Uh, this is precisely why we associate technology with science and scientists and not creationists, right? It was only with the advent of science that we had this explosion of technology with reliable knowledge, uh, not with the advent of Christianity. We didn't reap the benefits of the steam engine from Christianity. But maybe we didn't get aspirin and antibiotics <laughs> and jet planes and smoke detectors in the first century after Christianity, or even the fourth when when it took over the the Roman Empire. Well, Chuck Ken Ham, the uh, observational science book, loves all those things. <laughs> He loves them. The, the, the true benefit of the scientific method is that it, it places a higher value on honesty than it does on authority. We have authorities in science, but they can all be taken out if they're wrong, <laughs> if the data doesn't support it. What Ken Ham is proposing is to uh, remove all of that progress that we've made and go back to a dependence on authority. Yeah. The whole scientific revolution, the whole enlightenment, is in the whole renaissance, casting off authority, casting off Aristotle, his, his dominance over physics, casting off this uh, Christian belief uh, that everything revolves around the earth, right? We're casting this off and, and see what, what does the data before us tell us. Don't accept the Christian Bible's interpretation of shit. Don't accept Aristotle's interpretation. What does the data say? And, and Ken Ham not only wants us to go back to believing in the authority of the Bible, but it's, it, it's specifically believing in the authority of Ken Ham's interpretation of the Bible. Right. He kept saying that, um, which is this debate should have ended like five minutes into it when he, he kept – and he said this many times, but he's like, we freely admit that our historical science comes from the Bible. We freely admit that. Okay, so that's pretty much that's that doesn't work in science. If you're just going to have that starting point that you can't change from, that you can't learn from, <laughs> it's it's over. Right. Debate over. And Everyone go way, home. By the way, that's a lie. 
He's not starting from uh, the, the Bible. He is moving toward the Bible. He is ending with it. He will, and he admits later on, and, and what I think was the most powerful part of the debate in the question and answer period, the question oh, was, yeah. what would make you change your mind? And Ken Ham answers, nothing. Nothing. I will so, never change my mind. And, and that's why creation is not a viable model. He always presupposes and, and leads to his conclusion that, that, that everything in the Bible that he interprets as true is true. His interpretation of the Bible is true, and that's the be-all and end-all of Ken Ham's uh, creation model. And that's why, you're right, he lost the debate. And and you move over to Bill Nye, what would make you change your mind? He says, a single piece of evidence. That's it. All it would take is a single piece of evidence. Show me something. Show me the evidence, he said, because he just watched Jerry Maguire. I mean, we can talk about all the shit that Bill Nye said. Uh, he, He went over... Tiktaalik, he went over the Grand Canyon, he went over bristlecone pines that are older than Ken Ham's model of the Earth. <laughs> and there's a tree in Sweden that's 9,700 years old. There are bristlecone pines in California 6,800 years old. He talked about ice cores, geographic distribution of species, which right. I thought was very powerful. If under Ken Ham's creation model, the kangaroos hopped from the Middle East all the way over to Australia... We'd find fossils of dead kangaroos from the Middle East to Australia. We find none of that. None nope. of it. He did a cute little calculation based on the number of species, you know, minus the, the number of kinds on the ark and, and how much. And you get, you know, you'd get 11 new species forming every single day. I didn't think that was all that powerful because, number one, Ken Ham already said he doesn't associate kinds with species. He associates right. kinds with families. And so I thought on that. that lost a little bit of rhetorical force. Um, but he could also say that, you know, you, you're not at the bottom of the ocean. You're not in the middle of the jungle. They could, all these species could be forming in the middle of the jungle or underneath the ocean. They don't have to be forming in your backyard. So I thought that, you know, while it was a good attempt, I thought it, uh, oh. I didn't think it had a whole lot of force. That was, that was Ham's um, one actual prediction, wasn't it? An actual scientific prediction that there should be a land bridge between like Asia and Australia? <laughs> yeah, under the creation model, there should be, because otherwise, how would the kangaroos hop over there? Right. <laughs> That's never been found, and and uh, it, it will never be found. <laughs> There's just no evidence of that. No kangaroos in the Middle East, no land bridge. One yeah. part I did want to uncover before we end was uh, Ken Ham rebutted the radioactive decay evidence that uh, Nye gave. With with this example, he said there's a bunch of problems with radioactive decay. As a matter of fact, oh, yeah. uh, they drilled 69 feet down and found a basalt rock that dated 45 million years old with potassium argon dating. Uh, but the wood inside the basalt rock dated 45,000 years old yourself. based on radiocarbon dating. Wait a second. Now, now, uh, uh, Nye missed a really big opportunity. He did. did. To embarrass Ken Ham on this. This was specifically um, chosen, by the way, by creationists to to uh, sow doubt in, in these models. Now, um, the, what's the problem with this, Matt? What's the problem with dating a rock at 45 million years old using potassium argon dating and then the wood inside the rock dating to 45,000 years based on radiocarbon dating? The problem is radiocarbon dating is only valid up, it, it decays too fast it only is valid for about 50,000 years yes. after that you don't, you don't have enough sample of the radiocarbon well, to date it out any farther all of it's decayed 
right? Right. So if you get a, a, a tree that's dated around 45, toward the end of the, the maximum within an error bar of radiocarbon dating, then what you have is a, a sample that's um, past, it's older than what is possible to date. So you're using the wrong dating method. Every piece of tree you find in 45 million year old rock will date to about 50,000 50, years. years Absolutely. It's a- asking you like sometimes we we um, draw blood for an INR to see how thin the blood is, right? But our, our INR only goes up to six and the normal's one. Um, so they, they figure that if it's above six, then, you know, it's a critical value. <laughs> you got to address it, right? So it only goes up to six. So what, what Ken Ammon's telling us is that I draw a guy whose INR is actually 13, but it showed up as six in our in, in our little clinic's um, portable monitor. Then that's actually six, and the whole thing's <laughs> fucked up, right? The whole method's fucked up. Look, the maximum of that is 50,000 years old, and that actually confirms it because it didn't date it as 20,000 years old. It didn't date it as 10,000 years old. It dated at the top of its upper limit. Right. <laughs> What Bill Nye said was that, oh, maybe the rock slid into, you know, no. Yeah, something like that. No, yeah. no, 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 no. He didn't, I don't, he might not have heard him because Ham speaks fast. You know, he talks, I mean, maybe he just missed that little word, but, you know, he, he talks kind of fast sometimes. He's got his, like, he's got a slick patter down. Yeah. And uh, I, I, it almost went by me and then I'm like, what, 45, wait, what did he say? Oh, he said carbon. Well, <laughs> yeah. No stuff that in. You did you did. <laughs> And it's the same thing with the Mount St. Helens, right? Uh, a creation scientist took a, a sample of rock that crystallized out in 1986 with the eruption of Mount St. Helens, and he sent it to a dating lab of potassium-argon dating, and it dated at 0.3 million years old, right? Of course, potassium-argon dating is useless for samples younger than 100,000 years old because you don't have enough argon in the sample to give you an accurate date. Yeah, that is again a confirmation of the dating system. It didn't date the rock as a billion years old. It dated it within its error bars at the young end of the spectrum. But you got to understand dating, and so that that's another problem with debates is that you can miss shit like that um, when and when it's you know a slam dunk for yeah. you. Uh, but in order to get it, you have to do a little mini education on the radiocarbon and, and potassium argon dating. Yeah. I thought I thought Nye did an okay job during the debate. I think he really killed him during the question and answer period. That's when um, he, you know, Ken Ham admitted that he wouldn't change his mind. Uh, right. And, and Nye did. Um, Ham also said, you know, there's a question about where where do the stars fit in? You know, how, how do you you know um, account for the stars? And Ken Ham's answer literally was, "God that made the universe so large to show us how great he is." <laughs> That was his no. scientific answer. No, it is the skull of the giant Ymir. <laughs> the God stars. Made billions of stars, and he made the universe so big to just show us little humans how awesome he is. Well, that's that's what he said when he was finishing going off about dating methods. Um, he says only one dating method is valid, and that's from the witness who was there, and he told us. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I guess. Eyewitness I, I account. I get, I guess that was God. There was, was another, it God? There was another question where they said, you know, um, how do you for Bill Nye? How do you account for what made up the atoms inside the Big Bang? Is what he was saying. Um, <laughs> this is a bad question because there were no atoms in the Big. The Big right. Bang was a singularity, much much smaller than an atom. Um, 
Adam's been formed for a long time until they cooled down. Right. Bill Nye said, you know, we don't know where the stuff that made up the Big Bang came from, but that's what drives us. I thought that was very powerful. We don't know. That's what drives us. That's what keeps scientists moving forward and doing their job. Curiosity. Ken Ham, in one of his um, least effective, I think, to me anyway, he got a laugh from the audience every fucking time he did it because he's in the center of the Creation Museum. But here's here's how uh, Ken Ham responded. Hey, Bill, I, I just want to let you know that uh, there actually is a book out there that actually tells us where matter came from. And the very first sentence in that book says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And really that's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense of uh, why not just matter is here, where it came from, but why uh, matter, when, when you look at it, we, we have... Uh, information and, and language systems that build life, not just matter. And where did that come from? Because matter can never produce information. Matter can never produce a language system. So there's a book, Matt. There's a, there's book. a book. There's a book that tells you exactly where it came from. And it happens to be the book that drives my religion. It's not the Hindu book. It's not the uh, Buddhist book. It's not the Islam book. Quran. <laughs> it's not the... Uh, Native American creation mythology. It's not the Norse mythology. Yeah. It's my mythology. He never tells you why that book's better than any other book. Or, Is it the Prozetta? It's the Prozetta. <laughs> or, by the way, how that fucking explains anything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Could you tell me how? <laughs> Could you please tell me how? It was if done. Pin, if you pin him down, the answer's going to be magic. Magic. That's how he did it. That explains right. nothing. Right. It explains he exactly nothing. And that's why I say to Kirk Hastings, to Ken Ham, to all these fucking creationists, why your book is exactly on the same playing field as the Buddhist book, as the uh, Muslim book, as the... The Tao Te Ching. Any other... As the Norse books, as, as uh, Snowdry Snedlinger-Hamer. Snorri Sturluson, come on. As any... <laughs> Cosmic Egg mythology or, or the Mayan mythology, these are all the same. They explain exactly nothing. They all have the same story, and it's all magic. You explain nothing. And then he makes this wonderful naked assertion that says matter and, ener- matter and energy can never create language or consciousness. Right. Uh, that, that, again, as, as Hitchens says, that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. That is a naked assertion without any evidence behind it, and so you can just automatically dismiss that. That has no rhetorical force. Nye uh, is asked, how did consciousness come from matter? And he says, don't know. It's a great mystery. (laughs) The joy of discovery is what drives us. And he he said, I challenge the young people here in Kentucky to investigate that. And Ham responds, there's a book out there (laughs) that does document where consciousness came from. God made man in his image and breathed into man, and he became a living being. Well, there you have it. It's the only thing that makes sense. Magic. <laughs> By the way, I, I'd just like to say that I, I hope we're not uh, insulting any Australian listeners when every time we, we do our Ken Ham impression. <laughs> well, you know what? I just I would, mean to be making fun of Ham. I, Although I would, they just they deserve – they have to send us an apology, Australia. I would like to insult every fucking Australian for sending us Ken Ham in the fucking <laughs> first place. Fuck you, Aussies. All right. back. Just for that, we're going to finish the rest of this episode in a total Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> a really bad one, too. We don't really have much. Just I wanted to say, once again, one of the questions brought up 
the second fucking law of thermodynamics. Yay! Again! Yay! Get this out of your fucking ammo pile, creationists. Stop it! Every time you ask this question, you betray your fundamental lack of knowledge of the second law of thermodynamics. Nye responds, he reminds everybody that the Earth is an open system because it receives energy from the sun, and that energy drives these reactions that would otherwise be thermodynamically unfavorable. What does Ham say? Matter and energy never produce life. <laughs> and he Fine. asserts that the second law of thermodynamics began with the fall. <laughs> so God just set that in motion when Adam bit the apple. Oh, that's right. There was no death. That's why That's why so many things are impossible in science, because there was no death or decay or sin before the fall, and so an old earth would contradict that, so therefore, yes. no. He doesn't have a scientific problem with it. He has a theological problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck you, Ken Ham. Oh. Um, also, he, he makes the strange plea, I, I guess, maybe I've heard it before, that all the um, animals before the fall we're vegetarians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that's better. Why killing trees is better than killing other animals. But because uh, um, okay. it was like a it was like a Narnia where everybody like lived in peace and happiness. <laughs> Just chowing down on these apples and, and brutally murdering cucumbers. <laughs> that's all right. Um, oh my God! So not now. Nye ends with a plea to embrace science education for Kentucky and everyone who's listening to please embrace science education, reject creationism, and 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 um, firm up your science standards and and produce good scientists because Bill Nye is a patriot and he wants the United States to continue to lead the world in, in science education and, and, and science production and technology. And I think that's uh, primarily why he agreed to do the debate. I yeah. Think he, he, he agreed to do it so that he could make this plea for voters and and uh, to hopefully impact the the scientific education of future generations of children and and I applaud that. I just think that he went about it the wrong way and and he has you know you, you scientists you don't know you have a lot of pull if you're going to agree to these debates, then set some stipulations yeah take um he he got paid an honorarium, but I would say half of the ticket receipts should go to the scientists. And if you're not willing to pay that, then fuck you. And then take right. those ticket receipts and donate them to the National Center for Science Education or some um, atheist organization or some science organization. And so you can take that because you know for sure Ken Ham's going to take that and fucking use it to degrade scientific education and, and lie to kids. So you take your money and do the opposite. He should have agreed to do this debate with the stipulation that Ham – has to agree to a second debate to like be held at like I don't know does the NCSC have a headquarters or, <laughs> or, or some place like that you know you have to hold the debate inside the Grand Canyon. <laughs> also, and they never agree to this, but just like one point at a time, one point you get you get to argue one point at a time. Yeah, I mean you you do would never happen. scientists you do have power on this stuff, but it's all before the debate. So I would I would recommend um, fix your honorarium at at least fifty percent of the tickets. Uh, I'm not sure uh, about merchandising. I, I would say make a stipulation that they can't fucking sell DVDs and profit from that shit. That it would just be streaming. No DVDs are to be made, and, and any profits if they do make them need to be donated to a charity um, that you both agree on. 
um, the neutral site, certainly, and uh, just don't do it. <laughs> I would say the, the scientists who are good debaters and who are not prominent, uh, go for it. Do these debates. And change people's mind. Prominent scientists, it's probably beneath you. Don't fucking do it. Yeah. I guess we were all losers <laughs> in this outcome. I was certainly a loser for having to listen to all that shit. <laughs> oh, my God. I was the quadruple loser because I kept on having to re-listen to it to like to hear certain things he says and write some stuff down and make notes. Yeah. So fuck you, Ken Ham. <sighs> fuck you, Creation Museum. I hope you fucking hemorrhage money and go bankrupt. Fuck you, National Ark Park. I hope <laughs> you fucking get put in jail for... Uh, putting out junk bonds to support your fucking park. <laughs> Fuck you, Australia, for giving us Ken Ham in the fucking first place. Fuck everything. Don't forget, Ken Ham, uh, he's got six books out there you might want to buy. He's a best-selling author. <laughs> My personal favorite is The Great Dinosaur Mystery. Solved. Good one, Matt. End the fucking podcast with a plug for Ken Ham shit. And fuck you, Matt Wakefield. <laughs> There'll be a link for discount tickets to the Creations Museum on our website. <laughs> Remember, through 2014, kids 12 and under go free with a pagan doll. What about noetics? How does creationism account for the celestial bodies, planets, stars, moons, moving further and further apart, and what function does that serve in the grand design? Well, when it comes to uh, looking at the universe, of course, we believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and I believe our uh, creationist astronomers would say, yeah, you can observe uh, the universe expanding. Uh, why God is doing that? In fact, in the Bible, it even says he stretches out uh, the heavens and seems to indicate that there is an expansion of the universe. And so uh, we would say, yeah, that, you, you can observe that. That fits with what we call observational science, exactly why God did it that way. Uh, I can't answer that question, of course. Uh, because, you know, the Bible says that uh, God made uh, the heavens for, for his glory and that's why he made uh, the stars that we see out there and it's to, it's to tell us how great he is and how big he is. And in fact, I think that's the, the thing about the universe. The universe is so large, so big out there. One of our planetarium programs looks at this. We go in and show you uh, how, how large the universe is and I think it, it shows us how great God is. Uh, how big he is, that he's an all-powerful God, he's an infinite God, uh, an infinite, all-knowing God who created the universe to show us his power. I mean, can you imagine that? And, and the thing that's remarkable in the Bible, for instance, says on the fourth day of creation, and, and oh, he made the stars also. It's almost like, oh, by the way, I made the stars. Um, and just to show us, I've, he's an all-powerful God. He's an infinite God. So I made the stars, and he made them to show us how great he is. And he is. He's an infinite creator God. And the more that you understand what that means, that, that God is all-powerful, infinite, you stand back in awe, you realize how small we are, you realize, wow, that God would consider this planet is, is so significant that he created human beings here, knowing they would sin, and yet stepped into history 
to die for us and be raised from the dead, to offer us a free gift of salvation. Wow, what a God. And that's what I would say when I see the universe as it is. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.